I'm Simon Sinek, and you're watching Behind the Brand with Brian Elliott. This episode is brought to you by Veridesk. Veridesk makes office furniture simple. Seriously. Everyone probably knows their height-adjustable stand-up desk. I use it every day in my video production business. It was really the first step to create a happier, healthier me because I was sitting all the time, losing circulation, and standing up just feels a lot healthier. Today, Veridesk has a full line of furniture and accessories for the office or the classroom, and they make it easy to order, assemble, and change around as you need it. You really gotta check them out. Just go to veridesk.com forward slash behind the brand and take a look. Let's talk about some of the key pillars or characteristics of people who are successful. You know, you talk about charismatic people, I think of Gary Vee, you know, who's dogmatic, but also super charismatic and a very outspoken leader. Then you have someone like, you know, Susan Cain, who writes for us introverts, um, you know, the Zuckerbergs and, you know, whoever else is sort of more behind the camera kind of person. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of the pillars of successful leaders. I get asked about this quite a lot, sort of what are the the important characteristics to be a great leader. Yeah. And you hear the usual, you know, charisma, vision, you know, these kinds of things. And you're right. You know, I know some great leaders, some who have charisma and some who don't. They're quiet and sort of walk down the sides of halls, you know. Um, I know some great leaders, some who have big Steve Jobsian visions and some who don't. And yet they're still highly effective and very, very good leaders. The one characteristic I'm very comfortable saying that all great leaders have to have is courage. Um, it's a very, very, very hard job being a leader. It's very, very hard um, standing up for what you believe in, waking up to do that every day, sometimes against overwhelming pressures from the outside and sometimes from the insides of our organizations. Um, sometimes it's lonely. Um, sometimes it's thankless. Um, and sometimes you put yourself at risk. When you speak truth to power, you could get your head cut off. Um, when you try to do the right thing, you're the one who could get in trouble or lose your job over that. Um, so the risks are real. Um, so the best leaders, the most effective and inspiring leaders, they all have courage. That's one, one thing I'm comfortable saying they all have. I love that statement. Um, one of my all-time favorite books, uh, in addition to all of yours, uh, is Brene Brown's book, right, who addresses courage. And I love what she talks about, you know, that measurement, the depth uh, that we're willing to be vulnerable is the measurement of our courage, basically. Um, but how do we get courage? You know, um, I think about this all the time because... Uh, in some things I'm courageous and in other things I'm not. And maybe I'm crossing or blurring the lines between willpower sometimes. You know, I think about um, just simple fitness things like I want to get up in the morning, but yeah, I don't feel like it or the weather's not great or ideal. And so, you know, I cave in or something. But um, t how do you get courage? So I don't believe for one second that courage is this, this internal fortitude that you dig down deep and find the courage. Like, I don't think that's true. I think courage is actually external. Um, um, when we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that someone believes in us, or someone has our back, or someone cares about us, or we know that someone will be there when we struggle or when we doubt ourselves, they'll be there to say, no, no, I believe in you, you got this. That's what gives us the courage to act. The knowledge that there's someone by our side, someone, you know, a, a wind in our sail. Um, and that's when we find the courage, when we work extra hard because we want to prove to someone that their belief in us was worth it, that their sacrifice for us was worth it. Um, I, I get the opportunity to spend time with um, men and women in uniform, those who've actually um, risked their lives to save the lives of others, and I ask them, why would you do it? No one would have ordered you to do what you did. Um, no one would have faulted you if you didn't. You have a family, you have kids, why did you do it? And they all give me the same answer. 
which is they know that they say, um, I know that someone would have done it for me. I know that they would have done it for me. They would have done the same for me. In other words, their courage came from the knowledge that someone had their backs. That's why they acted courageously. Um, and even when we see someone act with courage, a leader who acts with courage, that inspires us to act with courage. Yet again, it's an external thing. And this is one of the reasons, um, to me, together is better is such a powerful message, which is only when we act together, um, even if that just means someone who's in the background, um, will we have the courage to change our lot in life and even change the world. Yeah, so I want to break that down just a little bit. When you were talking, before you said men and women in uniform, I imagined a Navy SEAL, kind of in that Navy SEAL training, which I can only imagine. Um, you know, you're out there with the logs in the water, and it's late at night, and you're shivering, right? And, and yeah, you're, you're with all of your comrades, right? But, like, it is kind of a lonely proposition because um, it is sort of survival of the fittest, right? It's every man for himself. You can't help your brother or your sister in that circumstance. So I'm just curious about the, the courage thing, how that happens. And then I was also thinking about myself, right? So for 15 years, I worked on the client side of brand marketing. Um, I worked for the studios. I had a $30 million P&L. I was fat and happy. You know, someone picked up my dry cleaning and, you know, I had a car allowance and, you know, I bought all this media and, and I did all these great things. And then uh, I got inspired uh, to become a creator and I cut the cord. And that was about 10 years ago now. And that moment that I cut the cord was and has been a very lonely journey at times, right? I feel alone. I feel uh, somewhat disconnected. And sometimes, you know, I want courage, but like, you know, how do I, how do I get it? You know what I mean? So let's address the Navy SEAL question first. Okay. Um, your assertion that it's a lonely experience is not entirely true. Um, you'll find that they, the leaders of those groups will inspire the others. They'll call out to them, we can do this, come on, you got this. And something very strange happens when, uh, when officers quit, because it's officers and enlisted who all go through BUDS together, the, the Navy SEAL selection process. And when an, almost invariably, when an officer decides to quit, two or three enlisted guys will quit immediately with him. Hmm. In other words, that they look to that person, if they stick with it, they'll stick with it. But if they quit, I can quit. Right. And, and, and there was a Navy SEAL who was interviewed. You know, he, he was asked, what kind of person makes it through BUDS? And he replied, I can't tell you the kind of person that makes it through BUDS, but I can tell you the kind of person who doesn't make it through. He said the, the guys that come in with bulging muscles covered in tattoos who want to prove to everybody how, how strong they are, none of those guys make it through. He said the preening leaders who just delegate all their responsibility, none of those guys make it through. He said the star college athletes who've never been pushed to the core of their being, none of those guys make it through. He said some of the guys who make it through are skinny and scrawny. Some of the guys who make it through, you see them shivering out of fear. He says, but all of the guys who make it through, when they're physically exhausted, when they're emotionally exhausted, when they have nothing left to give, somehow, some way, they're able to dig down deep inside of them to find the energy to help the guy next to them. Those are the guys who become SEALs. I see. And so it is the power. It is absolutely that. So our most elite warriors on the planet are not necessarily the strongest, not necessarily the smartest, not necessarily the fittest, but they are most capable of taking care of each other. And that's what makes them the most elite. Um, and uh, it's true for all of us. Those who are the highest performing over the long term, because remember, there are bad leaders who can win and there are good leaders who can fail. I'm not talking about a win and a loss. People always say this to me, but they'll cite some company that's doing extremely well. I'm like, yeah, for now, 
let's see how that lasts. You know, um, a, a company that's well known to have poor leadership, let's say. Um, um, the lasting, the lasting uh, organizations, the, the well-led organizations, there's intensely powerful, strong camaraderie. There's intensely powerful trust amongst the people, between uh, the masses and leadership. Um, there's the sense that we want to do right by the company because we know the company would do right by us. Um, when we don't believe that the company or its leaders would do right by us, then we work hard to protect ourselves or advance ourselves, irrespective of the, the long-term impact it may have on the organization. So, so absolutely, even in the SEALs, um, even through BUDS training, is absolutely a, a cooperative and, 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 and comrade-built organization. And it goes for us too. You know, this is why I'm a huge fan of sort of peer organizations or mentor-mentor relationships. Um, it's why having good friends is important. You know, you, you, you know, the friends who tell us we're crazy, you'll never be able to do it, well, you're nuts, why don't you go back and get a job? We start doubting ourselves. But the friends who say, you inspire me. I don't have the courage that you have to cut the cord like that and go do it. That's amazing. You've got to stick with it. You've got to stick with it. Right? It's those friends. It's those relationships. Um, any successful CEO, uh, any successful leader will talk about their mothers, their fathers, their friends, their wives, their husbands that stuck with them, believed in them. Um, those relationships are absolutely essential. Uh, you can have a limited success if you go it alone, and uh, and I think it's an unhealthy success. There are there are there are leaders who do it, but they take a huge number of pills in the morning, and depression is a large part of their being. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, and and maybe there's a bit of a trial period, you know, like kind of breaking through the atmosphere. You have to kind of get up there first, and then break through, you know, kind of a proving period even to your support system. I mean, I talked to Seth Godin and he said at first, you know, my wife was not supportive and neither was her mother. <laughs> and, you know, to me, I kind of read through the lines and, and, and I kind of felt his, uh, his pain a little bit because I, I, I guarantee you Seth had someone in his life at that time or previously who, who liked him for his nuttiness and for his big ideas. Yeah, but I guess uh, I, I don't want to paint that in a negative picture. I think, you know, kind of this force, right? Like that's sort of part of it. Like the Disney's or the Martin Luther King Jr's who, you know, they had their naysayers and people who didn't sure. believe, the non-believers. Sure. You know, that kind of created the friction along with their support system, those who believed in them and just their pure passion slash... Well, there's a stubbornness to being a visionary, right? There's a stubbornness yeah. to it and, and I think I share that stubbornness. Yeah. You know, um, I think one of the things that that stubbornness does is it is it it, it instigates or catalyzes a, a resourcefulness. Yeah. Like I, I it, it's almost a fetish, you know, when somebody tells me, you know, it can't be done. Give me twenty minutes. Right. You know? Right. 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 And, and that's my spirit too. And, and the reason I sort of want to break it down, I mean, I I'm not super analytical, and I don't need a roadmap, but I do. You know, I know, I know a lot of people who watch this show. I'm gonna pause for a second. I, I know that there's. Maybe not a roadmap or, a, you know, step one, two, three, four, five to, you know, how do I get courage? But I, I know that a lot of people watching this show, they're entrepreneurs and they're in the struggle, mm -hmm. right? You and I know the struggle. Mm -hmm. I've been there. Right. Go back there on a regular basis. I'm there right now, yeah. right? Like every day is a street fight. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that's also part of it, right? Like that's what Kanye was singing about, right? What, you know, whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. and. And all of these things, which are absolutely true, you know, this opposition is necessary in everything that we do that, that 
you can't have success without the failure. You can't have the right without some of the wrongs along the way. You well, know? I, you know, I'm a great believer that uh, you know entrepreneurship is not necessarily. And by the way, I'm a great believer that that uh, that being an entrepreneur and being a small business owner aren't the same thing. Like there are entrepreneurs inside large companies, um, and not all small business owners are entrepreneurs. They're just small business owners. Right. Right. Being an entrepreneur is being a problem solver. And you find them in all kinds of places. Richard Branson's an entrepreneur; does not own a small business, right? right. Um, but but I don't, for one second, believe that entrepreneurship is necessarily better or worse than having a job. Um, it's about balance, and it's the kind of lifestyle that we choose to live. Um, you know, entrepreneurs absolutely have highs, high, high, the highest of highs, but they also have the lowest of lows. That's the balance. Whereas if you have a a, a stable corporate job. You know, your lows just aren't as low as an entrepreneur, but neither are your highs. Right. And so it's a very, both equations are balanced. And so I think when people f um, romanticize entrepreneurship or, or, or quitting to start their own business, they, they, they romanticize the joy of the highs and they, some of them don't expect the intensity of the lows. And as you said yourself, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs that you and I have both met, all of them have either scraped um, or or hit rock bottom. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes us, myself included, uh, I think that's one of the things that makes us um, less afraid of it. Yeah. Uh, it's not a blind, it's not a blind, there's, not a, there's no blind courage. Like, I hit the bottom and I knew that I could survive from the bottom so I don't necessarily fear it again. Yeah, and... Uh, I don't want to go do it again, but I'm glad it happened. My mind works in, in metaphors or in images and I imagine, you know, the higher the cliff that you jump off onto this trampoline, the higher you'll bounce back up, right? But you have to go low or from a high distance down in order to shoot back up high or higher, right? So um, I also have just experienced this courage thing where, you know, I've tried this courage thing on and I like it. And I found that it's kind of like a muscle, right? Like the more you do it, the more you use it, the more courageous you feel, whether that's, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable or if, it's like, oh, I was just through that. There's no problem handling this the next time. I mean, I'm glad you talked about courage as a muscle. Um, I talk about leadership as a muscle. And like any muscle that we choose to build, you don't start by lifting an extremely heavy weight. You will hurt yourself, you will break yourself, and it may only happen once. Right. Right? Um, and you wouldn't want to jump off the highest cliff onto that trampoline before you get a sense of what it's like to jump off a low cliff onto that trampoline. You have to know the trampoline. Leadership's the same, courage is the same, which is you, you don't start with the, the biggest weight. You start with small weights and you get comfortable and you build the muscle. And as you build the muscle, you also build your confidence. And as you build your confidence, you can lift heavier weight. And as you lift heavier weight, you build the muscle again. And you also learn how to deal with pushing and pain. But your body's in shape and you can take it. Um, so I think there's a big difference between jumping out of a plane and jumping out of a plane with a parachute. You know, both have the same sort of madness, but one is a little more secure than the other. Um, it's, it's the exact same analogy as, 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 your, as your muscle analogy. So yeah, I, I believe courage is a muscle and you work your way up to it. You practice. Um, there are some who take the big jump off the big cliff and I call those lottery winners. You know, are they genius entrepreneur problem solvers? Maybe. But very often, a lot of those people enjoy the success once. Yeah, they, you can they, throw... They, they lifted the heavy weight once, and it worked out for them, but they struggled to do it again. Yeah, I mean, you can throw the Hail Mary pass. It can be done. And it can be caught. It can be done. It doesn't always get caught. No, it does not. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, 
it does definitely builds. So what happens if you're a leader, you know, and you want to try and inspire your people, but it's not working? What do you think is not working? What are some of these obstacles to being inspired? What blocks us? So, <laughs> it's a great question. Um, I think sometimes um, we think it's about us. And when somebody says, I'm trying to inspire you and you won't be inspired by me, you know, it's like, well, is it about them or is it about you? You know, and, and I, I think that um, when you're trying too hard like anything, it's like going on a date and I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to do everything you want and you still don't like me. I'm like, well, okay, that, it's not about them, it's about you. Um, and I think there needs to be a slowing down and a listening that needs to happen, um, which very often um, is missing. Um, I'll tell you a quick story to, to capture that. There's a um, lieutenant colonel I know in the United States Air Force who, um, actually I think she might be a colonel now, but when she, three things happened to her um, all at once that any one of them would be difficult and she had all three happen to her at once. One, she was promoted to lieutenant colonel. She's now officially management. She was given her first command and she was deployed to Iraq for 365 days, all at once. <laughs> and she took over um, base operations at Balad. So that's all of the housing, the food, the fun runs, morale events, yeah. laundry, all of that. She was responsible for all that. And it was a notoriously poorly run sort of thing before. Apparently, previous bosses had been fired. She's an A-type, high performer, super ambitious, um, got promoted below the zone, which means got promoted early. And um, she was. She says, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix it." She, student of leadership, read everything, knew everything, and she was gonna be the one who was gonna fix it. And she had the exact same thing. I'm gonna go in there and inspire my people, and it wasn't working. And she pushed harder to inspire her people, and it wasn't working. And for the first six months of her being in Iraq, um, she went to bed every night and cried herself to sleep because she was failing and she didn't know what to do. And everything she tried wasn't working. Um, her, 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 her reports didn't take her seriously, they didn't obey her. I mean, it was like, it was really bad. And so six months in, she gave up. She literally gave up and she accepted the fact that she wouldn't be the success that she set out to be. Um, but she was stuck there for another six months and um, she figured, even though I don't want to be here anymore and I regret everything, I'm stuck here so, and I failed, um, I might as well use my time to at least help them enjoy the time that they're here people because they're also away from their families and they don't want to be here either so I'm going to devote all my time not to succeeding or inspiring them I'm going to go devote all of my time to ensure that they enjoy their day and that they get the most out of every day and strange things started to happen all of a sudden camaraderie increased morale increased trust increased they took care of each other performance increased and by the end she was a huge success and the, and the love and camaraderie that that group all had for each other was through the roof in other words they were inspired and so I think to inspire someone is a, is a funny thing to do rather than to set out to take care of someone. There's an, the, the, there's an empathy that goes along with inspiration. Um, and I think that you know, in our desire to inspire and our desire to lead and all of these somewhat selfishly sounding things, we forget that leadership is really an act of service and inspiration is an act of service. You know? And the service part is the important part. It's the other person, it's the receiving end. You know, I'm, I keep telling you everything you want to hear. Like, I keep, I keep telling yeah, but you're not listening. That's the problem. You're not hearing anything. Um, all talk, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that for people who are trying too hard to inspire and it's not working, I think it's become their goal to inspire rather than actually paying attention to what other people need. It's brilliant. The light bulb went on. I mean, I'm, I'm a father, um, and that's a lot of the ways I parent my kids. 
Um, I don't do a lot of teaching or preaching. It's all by example. And I do a whole lot more listening. It's sort of like 90-10 or 95-5. I'm just listening. I'm just there and I'm caring and I'm truly loving them. And it's also custom made, right? Like so the son needs a little something than the different than the daughter needs. And so I'm tailor making it for each of them. It's not a one size fits all. And it's all about caring and loving and helping them navigate their life, isn't it? And it's the exact same thing in an organization, which is the best leaders see those in their care uh, as their children, as their second family, where you give them love and devotion and you want to teach them a skill set, discipline them when necessary, so that they may grow up and accomplish more than you thought even possible for yourself. Um, and not every person is the same inside the organization. And some people can go quicker and some people can go, you know, have to go slower. And some people are more shoot from the hip and some people are more analytical. And it's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of you have to be able to lead both those personalities, all those personalities. Um, and you do sometimes have to adapt and what you give to one you don't need to or don't have to give to another. That, that's just how it works. That's part of it. That's part of the game. Yeah. And the good leaders don't do this one size fits all. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the same as a good teacher. You know, it's, it's not like I, I teach and you learn. You, you, you bend and mold and adapt. Right. You know, and some, some people need a little more encouragement and some needs to be put down sometimes slightly. And it's the same kind of thing. It's a balancing act. So it's, it's a great analogy. It's absolutely a great analogy. Well, we've come back full circle then, haven't we, to vulnerability? Yes. Because in order to be courageous, we've got to be vulnerable enough to not puff our chest up and be the leader or like your military friend who probably was, you know, type A, very organized, had a plan. Sometimes you got to make a new plan. That's not working. One thing that uh, I learned from a Marine is no plan ever succeeds um, contact with the enemy. And I think it's the same in business, which is no plan ever goes according to plan. So it's like if that's all you got, it's, you know, there's an adaptability. It's not that it's not that we should have no plans, it's that we should learn to be adaptable and understand that things change. Um, but, you know, vulnerability doesn't mean crying. It doesn't mean like, oh, I suck. You know, that's not what vulnerability means. Right. Vulnerability means admitting I made a mistake. Vulnerability means admitting I'm, this is a, I, I didn't expect to ever succeed to this level and I don't know, like, this is beyond my skill set. You know, vulnerability means admitting that I'm scared or uncertain or confused and we call it vulnerability because you risk humiliation and if you're an employee you risk getting fired I mean in some poorly run organizations where admitting mistakes or admitting vulnerability literally puts you at risk which is madness to me that that's a poorly run organization well, well um, that's the, that's the thing that boggles my mind too right like whether it's a head football coach or you know military military leader like do we all want to live in a world that we're not able to make a mistake or two? Do we all want to live in a world, or do we actually live in this world where the leader doesn't make mistakes? I mean, are we kidding ourselves? It's, 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 and, this is, and this is the folly of leadership. And this is why we call somebody leader, by the way, not because they're at the top of the organization. Like, I know many people who sit at the highest levels of organizations who aren't leaders. They have authority, and that's why we do as they tell us, but we wouldn't follow them. The reason we call someone leader is because they're the one with the courage to take the risk to do the vulnerable thing first, to go into a direction that may fail, to admit that they need help, to admit that they made a mistake. That act is an act of leadership. It's one of the greatest acts of leadership there is. And when we demonstrate, when we lead, 
and express our ability, then guess what everybody else does? They do the same thing. I mean, I learned this lesson the hard way. Um, I thought nobody wanted to help me. The reason is, is because I never asked for help or admitted that I needed it. The minute I was willing to admit that I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know everything, I have huge gaping blind spots and holes in my skill set, as soon as I admitted those things, people rushed to help me. The reason they didn't offer or, uh, or, or help before is because they didn't think I needed it because I was the one busy lying, hiding, and faking, pretending that I knew all the answers. Yeah. It was my fault, <laughs> not theirs. Yeah. It wasn't the lack of available help. It was my resistance to admitting that I needed it. What's that song that uh, Sting wrote a while back? You know, like uh, that fish out of water, it flaps away from the helping hands. And the irony is, right, like all it needs is those hands to put it back into the water, and yet it flops away. And that's, I think, it's ironic, right? It depends like, how it lands on the dry land. It's like true. It's hooked but... onto the dry land, not a helping hand. But, but, but the metaphor is well taken. Yeah. I mean, but I, in many ways, I feel the same way. When I feel... The most scared, I want to go into a shell. I don't want help, which is the ex exact opposite of what I need. Which is why the single most valuable characteristic of leadership is courage. Yeah. Um, I've appreciated this uh, enlightening talk about inspiration. And I, it also kind of strikes kind of a spiritual chord that I remember from another discussion, which I talked to Bethany Hamilton. Do you know who Bethany is? I don't. Bethany, um, there's a movie made out of her called uh, Soul Surfer. And Bethany's a professional surfer, and she lost her arm in a shark attack. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And within, I think, a couple of months, maybe a month. She's amazing. She's back. She's yeah. young. I mean, she's yeah, incredible. Yeah, she was 13 or 14 yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, within a month after getting her arm bitten off by a tiger shark, she's back in the water surfing, right? And, uh, and I talked to her about, you know, how she was able to do this. And it's a lot of the same kind of conversation. It's about courage. Uh, it also kind and of support. I bet she had a remarkable support system in her family and her friends that helped her find the courage. Yeah. It wasn't some, again, I go back to my, my previous point. It wasn't some deep internal fortitude that she did all by herself. There was a support structure of people who loved and cared about her and encouraged her and were there for her and said, whether you do, whether you don't, we will support you regardless of your decision. You know, we got you. I'll go with you. You know, I'll be by your side. You know, all of that gives us the courage. Yeah. What should we do if we're on the receiving end of this new inspiration? It's hard sometimes, right? If we, you know, there's all kinds of layers of, you know, oh, she doesn't deserve that, or he, you know, I'm better than he is. And so there's this kind of from the bottom up kind of pride, if you will. Um, I, I tend to find that those kinds of um, points of view and dispositions tend to be in poorly led groups. There's, there's more gossip in politics in a poorly led organization than in a well-led organization. In a well-led organization, people take joy and pride in the success of their teammates. Um, they're, if anything, they're, they, they don't, when they get recognized, they want to distribute it and give it away. And there's an excessive amount of like, it's really not me, you know? You find that. Um, well, I, uh, but if there's a lot of that, I tend to, I don't actually look at the people. I'm looking at who's leading those people. Yeah. If, if, that, if that is pervasive. Yeah, and I don't know a lot about what Elon is doing, but I see him making lots of mistakes in public. Uh, and, I, you know, I see a lot of transparency. I don't know if it's 100%. Um, but it seems like he and his people are not afraid to do stuff that might not work, right? And so how can we, if we're, on the, again, receiving end, what can be our mindset? How can we change the paradigm? How can we think differently? Because all these years, right, we've been taught 
to you know to to kill the to kill the leader so that we can become the leader right to do whatever we can to get what we need right yeah. but this is totally different well i mean you you're pointing to <laughs> you're pointing to the exact kind of world that i'm trying to undo right. you know a lot of the leadership principles that businesses obey and and business 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 practices that we consider quote unquote normal today are are not normal they're theories that were popularized in the 80s and 90s um, the concept of shareholder supremacy was a theory proposed in the late 1970s, right? Um, the idea of using mass layoffs to balance the books um, did not exist in the United States prior to the 1980s. The whole idea of rank and yank that people like Jack Welch popularized and, and, um, and pitting your people against each other, like internal competition versus competing with each other as opposed to competing against each other, right? Um, these, were, these were all proposed and popularized in the boom years of the 80s and 90s. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing because you had a Republicans and a Democrat uh, in presidency um, in, those, in those years. Um, they were boom years. It was a kinder, gentler Cold War. We weren't hiding, on, you know, running drills to hide under our desks. It was a relatively peaceful time. Those times are gone. These are not boom years anymore. These are not a kinder, gentler years. Um, we are in a world of global tension, um, and those theories just are outdated. And companies that think that those ideas, the concepts of shareholder supremacy, you know, putting the interests of a disinterested external constituent ahead of the people inside, yeah. that's like a coach prioritizing the needs of the fans over the players, is madness to me. Yeah. Using mass layoffs to balance the books, which in one decision destroys trust and cooperation amongst a group and encourages self-interest and, and selfishness and building of walls and lack of vulnerability and lack of courage, right? Um, uh, the, we have to undo these theories. We have to undo them. We have to go uh, back to a time where proper leadership, good long-term effective leadership um, existed. Um, I, I'm, that's all of my work is devoted to undoing the madness from the 80s and 90s. Yeah, so it sounds like you're working on the leaders, and that's great. How can I, as a follower, be a good follower? I, I, so I, so I sort of, I, to me, leadership is not a position of rank, right? It has nothing to do with rank. Um, leadership is the decision to take care of the person to the left of me and to take care of the person to the right of me. That's what leadership is. I see. So and the best leaders are actually the best followers. The best leaders see themselves in service to a cause bigger than themselves, and when you ask them, are you a leader, they will see themselves as servants devoted to some higher calling. And so you, you keep saying to me, oh, but what about the rest of us? Well, no, no, no. I don't necessarily think someone with rank is a leader. In fact, look at public companies. You know, they claim to be leaders, and yet they do what a 27-year-old analyst who is putting his self-interest ahead of the interests of the companies, they're doing what that analyst community is telling him to do. That's not leadership. That's not leadership at all. Where's the courage in that? Where's the courage to stand up to Wall Street? Yeah. It's the total opposite of leadership. Leadership is the choice to take care of the people to the left of me and to take care of the people to the right of me, to see that they succeed, they advance, that they do well in life, sometimes at the expense of my own interests. I get it now. We are all the leaders. We are all leaders and we're all followers. So the intern to the president, CEO, Everyone. the intern has to be thinking about the person to his left and the person to her right, and when we all do that, correct, then we are better together. And like being a parent, that's the analogy we've used a couple times in this interview, everyone has the capacity to be a parent. doesn't mean everybody wants to be a parent, and it doesn't mean everyone should be a parent. It just means you have the capacity to be a parent. 
Leadership is the same. Every one of us has the capacity to be a leader. It doesn't mean everybody wants that, and it doesn't mean that everybody should, right? But the capacity exists. It is hard work. It very often comes at great personal sacrifice. It is sometimes lonely. It is sometimes thankless. When everything goes right, you have to distribute the, the, the uh, compliments, distribute the, uh, the, um, the credit. When everything goes wrong, you have to take all the accountability. That's a crummy deal, right? Um, so, but yeah, I don't, when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking about rank or position. I'm simply talking about disposition and choice. Yeah. Amazing stuff. We've been spending a little time with Simon Sinek. Simon, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. 